Welcome to Conversations with Anne Elizabeth, the podcast inspired by my book. I'm a registered dietitian. Now what? Where I have the absolute joy to sit back, relax, and have a conversation about nutrition with a variety of people who share their personal story of passion and purpose, especially registered dietitians. Today's conversation is with Roseanne Rust, a registered dietitian who had a personal journey to nutrition with having a food allergy at a young age and then having a creative in the kitchen mom during her adolescence. As she started her career in dietetics, she realized how much she enjoyed research and how this applies to clinical nutrition and helping others. She has turned all her experiences into a fruitful career as a business owner of Rust Nutrition Services and author of multiple books, including her latest, Zero Waste Cooking for Dummies. Please enjoy my conversation with Roseanne. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I know that we struggled a little bit getting this. I'm so excited for this conversation today, and I'm glad that you're here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, I've been I've been fangirling um, of you. I just well, I you know I think I seriously started following you on social media probably from like one of your first books that you did. So I'm excited to. I feel like you've done so many great things and I'm so excited just to kind of learn about your path to the things that you are doing and have done and will be doing. Awesome. Yeah. I'd be happy to share <laughs> probably way so, back in the, in the early Twitter days, right? Yeah. I, yes. Cause I think back that's when, when I fun. hopped on there. Yeah. <laughs> right. It was so fun back then. Now it's just, it's kind of exhausting to be honest, but mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. Well, why don't we start? Everywhere. Yeah. Yes. Why don't we start with, let's kind of just kind of go back to when you were a younger Roseanne and kind of let me know, when did you get interested in nutrition, dietetics? How did that all happen for you? Yeah. So, well, you know, a younger Roseanne, I can go um, way back and then kind of pinpoint that, that moment for you. Um, I mean, I, so it can, kind of all came together when I was a kid. You know, I definitely, I enjoyed the outdoors. We had a yard with a big vegetable garden and we had fruit trees and we lived next Mm. to my grandparents who were Italian immigrants. So they brought all of their lifestyle to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And that's how I grew up with all these, you know, fresh vegetables in the garden and a fig tree and a peach tree and cherry and pear and apples. So, you know, it was like a little wonderland as a kid. Yum. Um, and when I was an adolescent, I started having issues with food, um, some food intolerances and some gut issues and, you know, symptoms of with diarrhea and hives and you know, malabsorption, essentially. And this was the 70s. So, you know, there was, it was not a thing. It was not uh, top of mind to any health practitioners or doctors. You know, it seems so obvious to me that someone has hives, maybe, you know, there's some kind of allergy going on. And <laughs> yes. there, there's a food issue here, but nobody knew anything then. But I had a really awesome mother who was very smart and intuitive and asked a lot of questions. So she like kept fighting to get to the bottom of it all. And by the time I was, well, I guess I was around 13 or 14. I finally saw an allergist 
And at that time, what was available was a skin prick test. So mm -hmm. they did that and I was, it was determined by that not very valid test. <laughs> now we <laughs> <Yes>. know <laughs> now that we know. I was, you know, quote, allergic to dairy, chocolate, tomatoes, peanuts, and citrus. So that's a pretty wide category of yeah. <laughs> foods. And as, you know, growing up in an Italian household, dairy and tomatoes are kind of important. Right. So my, you know, but my mother took that information and we did an elimination diet. And eliminating all of that, my symptoms did improve. Because as we know, as dietitians, when you have a person with diarrhea, they are lactose intolerant because that lactase is gone during the, mm -hmm. the periods of diarrhea. So that, and she did, you know, all of the things that we see now, she, without any information, she made substitutions, you know, she still, she would create non-dairy baked goods for me because... Wow. She still wanted me to have a treat on Sunday or whatever it was. And, you know, I would have my pasta plain without the tomatoes. Mm -hmm. And, um, oh, and chocolate. Did I mention chocolate in that list? Was yes, that you did. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so Which all is of those terrible. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, I probably could live without the tomatoes if I had to, but the rest of it, no, I love all that stuff. So that mm -hmm. was the beginning and then I, um, my symptoms improved. I went to college, you know, wanting to be a finance major of all things, because that is so not in my skill set, really. But I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was good in math. <laughs> and I, in, so, in my sophomore year, I actually, I credit my sister-in-law for saying, well, maybe you should look into studying nutrition, since you have oh. all these issues. And um so I did. I switched my major to dietetics uh, at Indiana University of Pennsylvania. And that was where it was. And then I was eventually after, I think, I'm trying to think, I think I was 20. So it was, I was already a dietetics major um, diagnosed with mild Crohn's disease. So oh. that was really what was going on. Yes. Yeah. So and there's the root of the problem. <laughs> there's, you know, so that was a perfect fit. And now I eat all of those foods. I don't have, I'm not allergic to those foods. Um, I kind of tolerate everything now and everything's in remission and good control. So, Oh, good. Good. Yeah, your that's mom how it all sounds, started. Your mom, mom was sounds so like cutting edge. Yeah. She was very progressive and very, um, you know, that's where I get my, Let's look that up, <laughs> Jean. <laughs> Let's find out. Let's get to the root of this problem. Um, yeah, definitely from her. Because well, there was literally, there was just no information then. And there were right. no, I mean, when you think of all, I mean, we maybe have too much information now sometimes. But yes. <laughs> all of the resources and all of the, um, you know, foods on the market that mm -hmm. are available for people who need to be dairy-free or gluten-free compared to, you know, when I got out of college in the 80s, there were no options. And the ones that there were tasted really bad and yeah. hard to find. And so. Interesting. Gosh, you yeah. spent a long time of your youth too, like cutting out all those foods. I mean, oh, that's yeah. a long you time to, to live that way. You couldn't go to a party when you're, you know, 14. That was like 
kind of depressing. <laughs> yeah, that's horrible. Oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. Well, I'm a kid in the 70s, too. And I, when I was born, I couldn't tolerate dairy. And so they, like, soy milk was, like, I mean, soy formula and soy milk. Like, my mom was like, we could barely find anything for you. So I yeah. think it's interesting how everything has evolved since then, for sure. It sure is. So you, so luckily you had dietetics at your college that you were at to study finance. Mm-hmm. That's lovely. Yeah. You didn't have to change schools. <laughs> it's, right, right. Absolutely. We had an accredited program right there. And, that was yeah. perfect. Yeah. So when you, so when you got into the major, did you just really feel like that was where you should be? Did it feel comfortable? Was it like, gosh, why didn't I think of this, you know, before I th- thought finance it, was my thing? Yeah, it really did because it was, a th- I really had just taken food for granted, for granted. And I really, um, I guess, then became aware of how, central food was to my, you know, to my childhood and to my life. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And during, and during college, I, I had, we only had one food science class, uh, or maybe two. And I thought that maybe that was, that was really interesting to me and that maybe I pursued that, but I didn't, you know, in, in you, kind, you kind of have now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have in terms of what I'm interested in. Absolutely. Sure. Um, but yeah, I didn't time. get that PhD in food science I once thought <laughs> I might get. <laughs> so when you got done with school, what were kind of the next steps for you? Did you, you know, like you said, you loved food science. So was that kind of what you were into as far as looking for careers or what was kind of those first steps? No, my first step was get a, get a job. Yeah. <laughs> get some <laughs> um, money. <laughs> I, yeah. There was no option. Um, and I really, it was just really about, you know, let's get some, ex- some experience um, in the profession. And, you know, I see young dietitians today struggling to, you know, figure out how to get an internship and how to actually become eligible for that R- RD exam. Um, and, it's probably worse today, but it was not easy then either. You know, internships were very competitive. There was, there's only one, because uh, I moved back to Pittsburgh and there was only one in that area available. Wow. And of course, they can't take, you know, they only took whatever, six students from six people all, all around, than 10. <laughs> you know, even from other, yeah. Uh, and I couldn't afford to relocate somewhere. And, you know, so I didn't even bother applying to those internships and I wanted to get a master's degree. So I took a position at a local hospital and applied to grad school. And at that time, which I continue to say, anytime I I talk, have this conversation with someone, I really (laughs) wish the Academy would bring back that option. And at that time, one of the options to um, taking the exam was a master's degree with a six month pre-approved experience. So oh. we are, I guess the Academy is going to go forward with requiring the master's degree. I don't really agree with that mm-hmm. um, for everyone, but that was the option I took. So the way that worked, I don't know if you're, are you familiar with that, uh, that route? I'm not, I wish I would have been, that'd have been amazing. Yeah, it was, <laughs> you could choose to, get your master's degree and then essentially you proposed your own 
six-month experience that had to be approved by the academy. So you wrote your uh, you wrote the whole thing in detail, huh. every you know every area of practice that had to be met, um, and you had to identify. You know, I made my own phone calls to whatever organizations and community nutrition clinical research mm-hmm. to get all of those check you know check all of those boxes and get that approved by them. Yes, they'd be willing to take me, um, and I would just you know, volunteer shadow and that kind of thing and get all of this experience over whatever course of time. And then once I had the master's degree and I had that experience approved, I could sit for the exam. So that's awesome. That took me (laughs) five years, I think, by the time I sat for the exam. (laughs) I'm I'm in my (laughs) office now looking at like, what year did I get my master's degree? I have it on the wall here. Uh, Yeah. So it was, um, yeah, I believe five, four or five years because I worked full time while I was in grad school. Oh, sure. That makes sense. So, yeah, I took one class. I think one semester I like bulked out and took three classes, you know, mm-hmm. went crazy with two part time jobs and three classes. Oh, my but, gosh. <laughs> and then part of it was doing the actual, you know, like part time job of the clinical experience itself. So, mm-hmm. but I learned a lot. So, I mean, and I, and there's definitely an advantage to being hands-on for three or four or five years before you take your exam. So. Oh gosh, I would agree. Cause you would just, you just learn so much with hands-on over a textbook or questions or that type of stuff. And I was doing so much that I eventually, I was hired as, you know, an RD in an RD position, even though I was just eligible to take the exam, um, because I'd finished that six month experience, but I had to finish my master's before I could sit. Was your master's in clinical nutrition? It was in nutrition. Yes. Yes. From the university of Pittsburgh. Nice. And so you did that in the, mostly in the clinical sphere then. It was totally in the clinical sphere. And my thesis was in clinical. It was a late life depressed uh, population. So geriatric population with recurrent chronic depression and yeah and amitriptyline the taking an antidepressant that and having experience of weight gain and does nutrition intervention work which interesting i was like yes i hope there was a big (laughs) yes at the end of that (laughs) yes if we define in nutrition intervention as working with a registered dietitian as we should yes Uh (laughs) (laughs) so how long did you do clinical then for i did clinical for from 19 let's see 86 to 93 so quite a while yeah i did four years of inpatient work and then which also included outpatient counseling for a hospital and then three years of outpatient counseling and um, in the, so then mixed in there, I worked at a research study at a data collection center for a large renal disease, diet and renal disease study. Oh, interesting. And was I, really, that interesting? I really did enjoy outpatient counseling. It was very interesting. I mean, just the, um, and that, and essentially that is when I realized that my interest in food science was more about a real interest in research, not just food science. 
um, and the whole research process. So this was just a data collection center. So as your listeners may or may not know, you know, we read all these big clinical about clinical trials and, and we read their methodology and so forth. So in this case, there were different centers that actually did the nutrition intervention. Uh, or, and in this case, they recruited from all over the country. So the intervention took place wherever the, the uh, participants were. And then all the data was funneled through the University of Pittsburgh to collect and then assess and analyze. So we were the so we saw food records from people living all over the country. So very early, I learned, you know, how regional eating is and oh, the sure. kinds of foods that people eat if that live in California or Arizona or South Dakota or Pennsylvania or you know Alabama or Florida are very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the, and then I, you know, you learn a lot about where all of our nutrition analysis comes from. If you remember handbook eight, yes. the USDA's <laughs> like reference for um, nutrition analysis. And we, you know, and this is, this was the early nineties. So it was very, we had computers and we put the data into them, but they were like, you know, archaic. Yes. <laughs> compared to I do what remember we're using that. <laughs> now. And the collection you know, and of course, all of the debt, they literally, people wrote their food records on paper, and they were mailed. Sure. And oh, we were wow. looking at, you know, this paper copy. And then it was very interesting. We had, uh, I don't know how many volumes of books on the shelf. Because I think the study was probably about a four to six year study, where if a food wasn't in the, you know, um, handbook eight, we had to substitute something for it and it's research. So if like, let's say one of the things I remember, I think was capers, you know, somebody had capers on their, in their meal. Well, there's nothing, there's no data in the computer for capers. So we would substitute the same grams of pickles. Oh, (laughs) and then what, that's an example. And then once we made that substitution, then you had to consistently make it for the rest of the study, right? Oh, So sure. we had these volumes of books where if you had a new ingredient, you know, like cactus or something, well, what are we going to put in there for cactus? Like what is the most nutritionally equivalent thing that we can put in for the, the data analysis, nutrient analysis? And we would record those by hand. And then when we got an ingredient, we'd have to like back, it was like crazy when I think back on it. And now that I was there, are you like really going, wow, this is, yeah. this is crazy how that all yeah. happened. Yeah. <laughs> I forget. We had a name for all those volumes of books that we had on the shelf. The, I wonder where they are now. The substitution book. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's interesting, though, that all of that kind of led to your like just interest in research. So yeah. like when yes. you think about that part of the job and data mm-hmm. and clinical, mm-hmm. like how did you blend how did you get to the point where you were focusing more on that research side and not so much that clinical side? Well, I moved. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of we location reloc- helps. <laughs> we relocated. Um, I got married and my husband got a job somewhere else. So we moved. And, you know, so there was just life happened. Um, you know, I got married, we moved. Then I 
got pregnant with my first child. And I didn't, at that point, you know, from a personal standpoint, I didn't want to work full time. Mm-hmm. Um, after I had my child. So, you know, then, and I was in a new place where there were a small town where there was not a big research center or mm-hmm. anything like that. Yeah. Uh, so I had limited choices in terms of traditional jobs. Um, I do, I do remember <laughs> going to interview at the hospital, like, seven months pregnant acting like i don't have a baby in here no <laughs> you, you, you don't see, you don't see anything here <laughs> <laughs> and i did not get that job and i really didn't want it i was just i did really enjoy what i was doing and you know i moved but mm. you know it was all good so at that point i thought okay what can i do that i want to do that i what else can i do so that's actually when i started writing uh and i pitched to the local newspaper i thought oh i could do that at home i'll i'll write a column and i had a uh my advisor in grad school wrote a column for the pittsburgh paper a regular column at the time so i called her and i said you know i want to do this here for our little local paper how do i do it you know give me some tips and she did and i pitched that and they took it and then I started writing a monthly column and then it was a weekly column for oh, 20 wow. years I wrote a weekly oh my column. gosh they yeah. loved you <laughs> it, it was free labor basically I mean it's yeah like, I mean newspapers now are even struggling more than they were you know in 2000 or but yeah interesting but it was, what, you what know, kept you, have you doing write, it you have to write to write, you know, that's what right. kept me like, doing it because I loved it because I always enjoyed writing. That was also kind of part of the whole love of research. Is I would I was one of those students who I'd much rather write a research paper than take a test. Sure. Um, and you know, I realized I enjoyed writing. Um, I thought I was pretty good at it, and you know, again, this was something I could do right now and got my name out into the community so then when I launched other things you know I had some um credibility credibility yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) and people you know I got good feedback uh and it and it it's interesting because now um what I see on social media and when I you know I see all of this pushback against diet culture that's Mm -hmm. what I wrote about in 19 96 was so it was my column was fat free rd yeah oh basically (laughs) about you know helping people you know you hear this crazy stuff and people tell you you have to do this crazy stuff no you you know you don't let's just enjoy eating it was about balance it was about having your treat but eating your veggies too and you know um so i got a lot of feedback literally on the street It, it i could tell it made people it took like a weight off people's shoulders Mm -hmm. to hear something balanced and to kind of give them permission to you know enjoy a piece of birthday cake or whatever (laughs) um so yeah which is still your mantra i mean like that's still the messaging that you put out there yes it hasn't changed much at all and it um you know and i kept doing it because i never i was never short on ideas you know um, 
I could come up with something. And I always say repetition is important to help people make change. So, you know, some topics you just present in new ways and people, you know, enjoy hearing it. And, and you can see that now in social media, there's definitely, Oh yes. You know, and yeah. And now what I'm realizing is, you know, I realized it then that we didn't call it diet culture, but I realized there was all of this misinformation and there was all of this um, guilt, you know, so it was so common for people around eating and I, that made me feel bad for them. So I, you mm-hmm. know, I tried to send out those more positive and balanced messages. And now I look back, you know, I look at the culture now and, um, and the, and what it was 20 years ago. And I realized how pervasive it really was. And there unfortunately weren't enough voices maybe then letting people know, you know, what balance is all about. And, um, you did your yeah. tiny part in the world. At I don't know, but I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I guess there weren't enough people doing it then. Yeah. Uh, and now, you know, we have a lot of issues still around food and guilt and it's crazy. Eating. It's mm-hmm. crazy how, like, you probably can see, like, it it hasn't changed. I mean, it's changed some, but that yeah. you know, still those core things are still happening. The same Absolutely. as they were yeah. 20 years ago, 30 years right. ago. Yeah. So. And it's it's not as much, uh, you know, it's not really dietitians that, um, you know, cause this problem or it's the messages from society, from other healthcare professionals. Mm-hmm. And the misinformation and the disinformation just is still really pervasive. And, you know, societal ideals are still... You know, change, it's just amazing how slowly <laughs> I know. slow progress happens. Yeah, it, I know. I know. It's crazy. It is. I see it all the time, too. It doesn't matter what part of the country you're in. It's just, it's very stagnant sometimes. You're like, oh, man, I thought we made some headway, but apparently yeah. we didn't. So yeah, <laughs> And I are. think it's more challenging <laughs> and, and at the same time discouraging now because we have access to so many you know, sort of so many conversations, whereas before, you you know, at least if you knew you were doing something in your little community, you know, like a, sort of the grassroots efforts were, were you could see the impact mm-hmm. and that was a positive thing. And sometimes now I think we, we probably, we're still having impact, but you, you know, the, <laughs> the areas right. where it's not happening are visible to you because yes. social media, you can kind of see it all yes. or hear it and, you know, read all the comments and think, ah, <laughs> you're like, what's, what's going on? <laughs> stop, just stop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so as you're writing your, so you, you've written some other things. So did that little column kind of lead to you writing your, your books and your education materials that you've put out? It, it did. Um, and I remember, you know, back in the day, my editor saying, you should write a book because you've written so many words. Um, and I thought about that, you know, how can I take all of these columns and somehow, you know, actually write a book. But it was another relationship that I had with a diet, another dietitian um, who, you know, was a ground, uh, a crusader or um, for 
online nutrition coaching and she created a startup, which, you know, unfortunately was kind of too early and too good for its time. But um, I worked with her and she already had um, a book published. And because I had writing experience, she invited me to co-author with her. And that was sort of my door into getting published. Ooh. Yeah. And it was, and it was with Wiley and the four dummies brand. And that first one, it was calorie counter for dummies. So now we don't like using this phrase calorie. I know. (laughs) Dang (laughs) it. But, you know, I, I'm still going to say calories still matter on some level. And, and what it was, was a restaurant guide. And they did change the title the second time because it was simply, you know, again, before you could go online and find everything. Mm-hmm. It was a guide for, uh, you know, all kinds of chain restaurants and what their oh. menus were. But then it was also the preface of it um, was about, you know, healthy behavior change and looking at your behavior and intuitive eating and all of that. So once you actually re- read the words in the book, <laughs> my philosophy yes. is there. Yeah. <laughs> well, in those books, like those, the the dummies books or I don't know, the, all those, you know, for dummy books, they do have a lot of educational resources in there. So it's not that it's just like, Hey, do this. And it's a lot of education along the way throughout the book. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you've done a couple of them. How many I've have you done, done of those? Many. I have yes. done, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, um, six. I didn't realize you did six. I did. I knew you did quite a few, but I didn't know there were six of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because Dash Diet for Dummies, um, I can't, I guess I counted as two because we just did a second edition edition. in 2020. Mm -hmm. That's right. And then you, what was the titles of the other ones that you've done? And actually, I guess seven because one, the other had a second edition too. It was the calorie counter became the restaurant calorie counter. Okay. And then we followed that up with a journal, uh, which again, you know, pre phone apps. Oh yes, um, <laughs> was and it, it was a journal of blank pages, essentially for you to keep your food record and your, um, you know, the whole intuitive eating and how hungry are you, how do you feel, and all that. Mm. A full you know, look at your hunger cues and whatnot. In addition to a, with a preface um, talking about healthy eating, behavior change, intuitive eating. And then, um, then came, I think, well, then came glycemic index cookbook. That was with Mary Raffetto and she had already written the glycemic index diet for dummies. Mm. So this was a follow-up cookbook to that. And then after that, um, I, I can't, I can't actually remember if I, if they asked me or I pitched them a, um, book for Dash Diet, which came first. So we did Dash Diet for Dummies, and then the follow-up was Hypertension Cookbook. And even though we said we shouldn't call it, we should call it high blood pressure. No one knows what hypertension is. Yeah. <laughs> they said, now we're going to do hypertension because the marketing team decides that. Um, and then <laughs> I think... Yeah, and then I then that's it, and then the new Dash Diet, 
And then, of course, uh, most recently, Zero Waste Cooking for Dummies. So I think it's eight books. That is so. For Dummies book. How could I forget it? You know, I forgot because I'm looking at my shelf and that (laughs) that copy is in the (laughs) other room. (laughs) Yeah. And I just published Zero Waste Cooking for Dummies. Um, which is uh, which is the one that year. I think is so January relevant. 20. Yeah, yeah. That's so relevant to the time. And I, I think the DASH diet has been, that's been a very helpful tool. I know as a dietitian, because I've actually referred a lot of my clients to use and purchase that book because it's so down to earth. It's so applicable. Yeah. It's just like. That, it we just, co-wrote that with a cardiologist. So, you know, when I was doing inpatient and outpatient counseling, for me, it was really important to spend some time with patients, educating them about their disease and their body. You know, mm-hmm. to me that, that, you know, they seem to be receptive to then connecting the dots that this is what's going on in your body. And when you make these modifications in your diet, it's going to help all of that. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, so there's a lot of really good information in the DASH diet book just about heart health, you know, and heart physiology in, in basic for dummies consumer terms. Yes. Um, to help people understand what blood pressure is, how it works, um, you know, and then some background on the actual clinical trial, uh, which really was a good trial. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a, funny. A, a I get a diverse population and yeah. And the diet, you know, people don't like the word diet anymore either, but, you know, diet in terms of what we eat, um, you know, it's a dietary pattern that can mm-hmm. be applied to any culture. Um, and it, it's been shown to lower blood pressure. And mm-hmm. I have high blood pressure now, so. Oh, do you? <laughs> I authentically promote wow. the dash diet. <laughs> From a personal experience. <laughs> well, I've noticed too, like just in my community in Iowa, that a lot of the, it's so interesting, but cardiac rehabs around here do not have dietitian involvement in their programs uh, anymore, which I think is just, it's, it's just crazy to me. It's yes, terrible. I agree. And so then they come and then they're like, oh, I just finished up cardiac rehab. I don't know what I should be doing as far as my food. And I'm like, wow. oh my gosh, I like fall out of my chair. So wow. I do, we end up, uh, that book I re- recommend so much because then, like you said, you get the whole background of what's really going on in your body, the, all that stuff that they talked about in cardiac rehab. It didn't make a lot of sense to you until you started yeah, how to apply it. Referred, it's a home. reference book. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank yes. you for referring. Absolutely. Thank you for writing it. <laughs> people do want information. And, yes. You know, it, yeah, I mean, it would be an excellent tool to have in every cardiac rehab program. I, do, I 100% think so, with a dietitian, of course, but definitely Absolutely. would be a great tool to, to give them on while they start mm-hmm. and go through the program. So, ugh, that's another yeah. battle. But that, so, uh, It sure is. And, that, and again, that's what discourages me so much that I look at my whole career and, you know, I was fighting in the 90s to we need more dietitians. And I wrote proposals and got them. But if you have to still fight I know. <laughs> to, you know, to add staff or to insert um, that registered dietitian into a healthcare team, like in a cardiac rehab, yes. um, that should be there. And yes. uh, yeah, so uh, that's my message. You, you, you can't wait for it to happen. You, unfortunately, we still have to like, 
do the talking and the writing the proposal and the nagging to make it happen. Or I nobody's going to remember what we do still or why, yes. we, why, why they would benefit from having us in their program. Yeah. That's so true. That's so true. Mm-hmm. So what led you to the zero waste topic? How did you get interested in thinking that was a great idea to get out into the public? Yeah. So I pitched that idea in like February of 2021. And prior to that, you know, over the past two to three years before, you know, it, it's, it's top of mind and it's been a topic of interest and in the, in our nutrition news. And, um, you know, I thought this is sort of, um, in many ways, how I live my life. And I dedicated the book to my parents, you know, who I call the king and queen of zero waste. (laughs) Because as, you know, as, as young as I am, I had old parents. I always used to joke with them. Like I had old parents because my mother had me quite late in her life and Mm -hmm. they were old compared to everyone else. They were born born in the twenties. You know, oh, I have gotcha. people that I have some of my peers have grandparents, you know, that are as old as my parents were. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, you, that they shared that lifestyle and they were kids during the Great Depression. So they never wasted anything. And as I mentioned, we had the garden and, you know, my mom canned and froze vegetables and used everything. My dad's father was a butcher and mm. the, the stories of just you don't waste anything. And I had that background of this is, you know, this is how you do things. And you don't throw it away and you reuse things. So I thought, you know, this is a really important topic. And I had some background and I was interested in doing more research about it. So I pitched it. And I, and I, and I also looked at the resources for consumers that were available, I felt didn't reach a broad enough consumer group. Um, a lot of the zero waste and food waste cookbooks that I reviewed were kind of niche with you know people who are maybe already eating a very plant-based diet and have an interest in, in getting you know, super creative or being able to kind of check everything off the composting and using unusual ingredients and in complicated ways that mm-hmm. I didn't feel fit the average consumer. So I wrote it with the goal of reaching anyone, no matter what they eat, if they have a plant-based, meat-based diet, um, just learning how to waste, being more conscientious of the food that you waste currently and how you shop and how you store food. And of course, between when I wrote the book in 2021 and when it was published, and now even, uh, it was published in January of this year, 2022, you know, with inflation and the situation we are in, um, in terms of our economy, it's important for people to kind of get back to basics and learn how to um, do more with less. Yes. Very timely. Didn't even think it was going to be that timely, but it's very right. timely. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's, and I think that's awesome that it comes from such a 
passionate place that you grew up in that space too, of not wasting anything. So you have a lot of personal experience, which makes yes. it more relevant yeah. to I the mean, average consumer. My mother never bought breadcrumbs. She always made them from oh, yes. Italian <laughs> bread. And um, yeah. And, and of course, some of the things were like, oh, that was all so much work. And then you go for convenience if you can afford it. And then you get to a point where, you know, I really either I can't afford it or maybe I need to kind of just simplify and yes. Yeah. And, and figure out ways to make that little bit of effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just a change in mindset. I thought of you the other day. Cause I had a, I had a smoothie, but I had like celery stalks that were older and mm-hmm. they had the leafy stuff. And I'm like, Oh, I'm just going to, I would have never thrown them in there before, but I remember right. watching one of your videos and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I can't even taste it in there with the fruit. I didn't waste yeah, it. I have, I, I have some celery that I'm going to be s- whipping up in the next yeah. few days because <laughs> I'm not going to be able to cook with it. And that, that's a perfect example. You buy a big stock of celery and sometimes you just need two steaks right. for a recipe. <laughs> and then maybe you can snack on some of it. But, you know, there's always that's one of those vegetables that there's always that couple, two or three little stocks right. to go yellow in your drawer. And instead of letting them go yellow, yeah, just make them into a smoothie or add them to anything that yes. you, you didn't add them to before, a salad or a stir fry or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The um, rest I added to a stir fry because I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. just throw that yeah. in there. Whatever. That works. <laughs> yeah. And I have to say, you know, even though I, you know, I grew up that way and, you know, this was very true to me, I, I went through, you know, I, 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 it made me think about all of it more just doing the research and writing the book, you know, then I started to sit and think, okay, I throw this away and I do this. Mm -hmm. And so I've, it's definitely changed my own habits over the past year. Interesting. So -hmm. what does any, what does the future kind of look like for you? I know that you're pretty active on social media. You're sharing, you know, you always share such good tidbits and just, I love your real approach to everything that you do in social media, but what is the, any new books on the horizon no 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 books on the horizon right now I'm definitely taking a break but I think what I hope to do I started a TikTok account and I am finally really really enjoying and embracing video um, because I really like the playful (laughs) format it's really hard I mean I said I was going to do more video about probably 15 years ago (laughs) and I never really embraced it (laughs) But you're there. You're there but now. But I'm here now because this, you know, the, the, the new technology makes it a little easier to snap mm-hmm. something and edit it, you know, kind of from the palm of your hand, literally. And I think, you know, my goal over the next couple of years is just to try to produce some more content that is consumer friendly and kind of you know, take the wealth of my knowledge and experience and package it and put it out there and reach more people with it. Um, but yeah, no books on the horizon right now. Well, <laughs> Writing I, a book is exhausting. I was going to say, I know <laughs> that's that my husband. <laughs> <laughs> How long does it usually take from start to finish for you for a book? Well, a lot of these publishers like uh, Wiley and the Four Dummies brand, it's a well-oiled machine and a pretty quick turnaround. So, you know, you're talking, I wrote mm, the whole book like May to September. Okay. So yeah, that is pretty fast. You Mm -hmm. know, including um, 
and then another month of editing, but the actual content may, yeah. So yeah, you're writing it four to six months. And you're um, hitting it hard during that four to six months. It's yeah. you're writing 10 hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. I did yeah. take weekends off mostly because I have very strict rules about trying to put limits on a work day. Yes. And you, yeah. you have to take a day off or you're, you'll burn out and you'll be well, yeah. slower be and as... not as productive or creative. Yeah. So, yes. but yeah, but it's, yeah, good 10 hour, 10 to 12 hours of writing every day. Yeah. You go That's hard. You go hard. <laughs> Set go small hard. daily goals, weekly goals. And yeah. Interesting. Well, I love that. I do. I think the whole message for that I always get from you is that you're just really that down to earth, want to be at that consumer level. Like you don't, you're not writing the sciencey part of things. You're not trying to over intimidate people. You just want to just get your message out to the masses. Yeah. Yeah. And I do, I mean, I do like to clear up the science. I mean, that's, I started my chew the facts brand with that. Oh, in yeah. Mind. Yeah. Um, you know, because I, I want to say probably around 2005 is when social media and media in general became so uh, misinformation became so much stronger because there were so many more outlets for it to, mm-hmm. you know, crawl across. So, um, yeah, and it just gets worse and worse. So there's definitely a lot of, so sometimes I will throw the science out and say, you know, no, this is not, it's not true. It's not right. Let me put it in perspective for you. And again, t- sort of taking that fear and guilt away from people. Yes. Well, and you have to throw some science in there because people are hearing the science. And yeah. it's always and good I, to I, like. I, I'm not telling you you should or should not absolutely make this choice, but I'm letting you know, you know, um, this was a mouse study with 20 mice and yeah, that right. doesn't prove <laughs> that, you know, that took massive amounts of the ingredient in question. It's, you can't just correlate that to, it's going to do the same thing in humans because we haven't proven that at all. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Some of those studies, it's good to always kind of put that frame of reference out there for yes. them. <laughs> right. Because the headlines do not always, you know, the headlines don't say mice, mouse study. <laughs> yeah, no, they don't. Showed. This- <laughs> it just says study showed that, mm-hmm. yeah, X causes this. And, you know, so A, there's no humans involved. B, there's no cause. But that's right. not what the headline, how the headline reads. Well, and honestly, I think a lot of dietitians, I mean, I'm not saying that dietitians don't know what studies are, but I think they don't know exactly all the ins and outs of studies. So they, I mean, even for, even for dietitians to, you know, for you to explain that is, I think, helpful even to people in our profession. Yeah. And physicians as well. And any healthcare professional. (laughs) I mean, we're all human. So we're, and we're all consumers. And, you know, sometimes we can be tricked too or misled yes. because the, the messaging is so pervasive mm-hmm. um, and you hear it over and over or maybe a really credible person, you know, shares yes. it or says it or wrote a letter to the editor. And then, you know, it's kind of like the old, uh, was it called like the telephone game? <laughs> yes. You whisper like something to a room of 20 <laughs> and by the time it gets to the 20th person, it's a whole different story. Yeah. Um, or... Yeah, and that actually happens. It in, does. You know, even in medical conversations and the research gets skewed. 
So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, actually, and that's, and not everyone is interested in reading the study, but that no. I try to do that. I if I hear something, okay, this is an article, but where's the actual study, and what, you know, what was the methodology? Yes. What, well, what I are definitely, we really saying here? <laughs> I definitely um, pay attention when you uh, do those explanations because I know that I'm probably not reading all the studies I should be reading. So if I can get a snippet from someone that is, I'm all about it from someone that I trust. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. Yeah. And I have yeah. lots of resources that I trust too. And yeah, that's, that's how it works. And, and yeah. there's so much going on. It's almost impossible to keep up with all of it. Oh gosh. I wish I could. I miss being <laughs> able to have time to do that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Including the fads. You know, that yes. People are people, oh, into. Yeah. People call me and I'm like, I don't even know what that is. Like, yeah. <laughs> I've never even heard of it. Yep. That's right. <laughs> Well, I'm excited just to continue to follow along. I know that I'm going to share your your social media media handles, and I will definitely have to share me, share with me your TikTok handle. But I hope that people listening today will kind of tune into your social media and also just consider reading your books because I know that sometimes even as dietitians, we might not pay attention to those books as credible resources, but I know that I have found them super helpful. So I definitely want to link those in the show notes as well yeah especially for busy clinical dietitians yes just don't have the time to yes exactly what's going on and yeah for sure well you've answered all my easy questions are you ready for the hard questions Uh (laughs) (laughs) maybe i always have a sip of my coffee yes have some more coffee (laughs) uh why don't you share with me some foods that you enjoy Oh, well, I love food. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and yeah, you know, I mean, I think one of my f- favorites, I love good bread. And I love like bread and cheese and fruit. You know, okay. I, I couldn't live without that. Um, and I like, you know, a simple pasta dish with some vegetables. I yeah. bet your mom made amazing bread and pasta and she did she was an amazing cook Ugh. and um you know i i try and I, <laughs> I mean my, i definitely i mean it, she had an impact on me and i definitely have had an impact on my children i have sons and they all enjoy good good food oh. and they all can cook good and, <laughs> um, my oldest is in working in the restaurant industry and Aww. into food total that's food. awesome I, yep I think that's you've done your job yeah I, yeah I've, I've done my job or I've had some impact and yeah my and yeah they can all cook the middle one is a great a better baker than both me and my mother and that's saying a lot oh wow so, yeah you've definitely done your job then <laughs> mm-hmm. we love baked goods too there, there was no restricting going on at this house. Good. <laughs> How about beverages that you enjoy? Well, I do love coffee. Mm. I have a cup right now. I love coffee. I my that first cup of coffee in the morning is one of my favorite little joys in life. Aww. Especially if I can eat it out or eat it, drink it outside. Oh yes. Um, yep. And I like a good martini. Vodka or gin? Is it both. vodka or gin? Both. Okay. Both. Both. I like Belvedere vodka, <laughs> and I like um, I like uh, Hendrix and Bombay gin. Mm-hmm. 
Nice. Yeah. And I drink a lot of water. I mean, I really, and I like, I do like a nice cocktail. I like bourbon in the winter. <laughs> You're seasonal <laughs> with your cocktails. Or vodka martini in the summer. Nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know you do kind of feel that way about a cocktail though. It's like kind of goes with your seasons. Yeah. And, and, co- and coffee I mean, all the I love time. everything. I like, I like IPA. <laughs> I don't like, I like beer. I like IPAs, but they, um, they, they make me stuffed up now. Like they oh, yeah. I have a, an allergic reaction to some of them. So I don't uh, drink too much beer anymore, but I still, we have a wine collection and we do enjoy wine. My grandfather made wine. So that did was he? part of my life. There did. Yeah. Yep. I wondered if yep. there was some of that in there crushed, too. Hand crushed the grapes in a big oak crusher and had oak barrels and that whole process going down the basement as a little girl and he would do his test i think he was i don't know somehow testing i don't know but you know but he knew when it was ready and he knew he had a method he had you know and then he made vinegar too so we always had made vinegar for salad that just sounds heavenly oh my gosh yeah (laughs) i know and i just you know as a kid it was like oh this is what we do this is what what everyone does and i went away (laughs) to college and people were eating mac and cheese and yeah we're <laughs> rice sides out yeah. of a package and my, my mom would send me back to school with a homemade loaf of bread because she would make homemade uh-huh. bread sometimes and you know everyone would like devour it like wait, wait, wait you're like my that's bread. mine <laughs> uh is there any scents or smells that you really enjoy Scents or smells? Well, I love the smell of coffee as well as the taste of it. Yes, that's part of it. Um, yeah, I, and I love the smell of cinnamon, which mm. sometimes I put in my latte at home. Yum. And of course, all of the yummy baked goods that were baked in my childhood, like apple pie with cinnamon. Oh, yeah. That's like perfection. And, yeah. You know, and the smell of onions cooking. Food, food and drinks, the smells of those mostly. I know. I guess pretty much. Yeah, I don't like flowery smells. <laughs> That's all right. I feel like a lot of dietitians really enjoy certain, you know, food smells for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is there something about you that a lot of people don't really know? Oh. Probably a lot of things, <laughs> but maybe they just found out if they listened to this episode. So, oh, gee, I don't know. Um, that you ate your whole, your whole life, you didn't get, or your whole childhood, you didn't get to eat chocolate and cheese and tomatoes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that could be uh, one thing. I, yeah, I don't know what I could say to that one. Have anything that would be you. That's Pardon okay. Me? That's, that's, <laughs> no, that's perfectly fine. Some people are, you know, just some people see that persona on social media. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I guess, um, you know, I was kind of a tomboy growing. I mean, I'm, I'm like an introvert, an extroverted introvert. Mm. And, you know, I, I think that would be something that maybe people would think, I was never a quiet person <laughs> or shy. Yeah, I person. would never think of you being an introvert at any. But I, I was, and um, you know, as a young kid, I was very nervous around you know approaching people. And you know, I didn't develop my confidence till my late twenties, really. So I'm a late bloomer, I'd say. 
Hey, that's okay. That's a good message for a lot of people that you can still kind of come out of your shell at any point, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of an introspective person and I, um, you know, and and now like I, I need contact with people. So it's interesting. Mm Yeah. Hmm. Never stop growing. That's what my mom always said. And it's good advice. That is good advice. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um, And what brings you joy in life? Oh, my family, you know, being like really what brings me joy, and it's going to come back around to the food, is <laughs> my, my, you know, my family, my husband, my children, and, um, you know, my friends. I love having people over. I love to entertain, you know, even if it's something as simple as, you know, coffee and a light brunch or, mm-hmm. or, wine, or wine and cheese, but I love... I love feeding people and I love bringing them into my home and making it fun. I feel like you I'm have, a, I'm a fun wonder, maker. I would say, I feel like you have wonderful conversations and just lots of laugh. I could just picture you just having a very joyful, you know, anytime that you do anything with family and friends, it's just lots of joy. Yes. I like to make it fun and I do love good conversation for sure. Yeah. I can see that about you. <laughs> which I've had a great conversation with you today. Thank you so much. It was so nice to speak with you. Yeah, I think it was so great to learn more about you. Just, you know, from again, watching you from afar and interacting with you just on social media. Fun to get to know the person a little bit more. And thank you for all that you've done to help my career. I know just with like I shared with you. But oh my goodness. I hope other dietitians tap into to what you've done for just just helping out you know the the masses the people that we encounter every day well that makes me feel really good so thank you if you listen to the podcast i hope you did because you've gotten to this point uh her books have actually been very helpful for me in working with clients especially her dash diet for dummies and her dash diet for two cookbook it has over 125 heart healthy recipes to help with lowering blood pressure And I know in my practice, I had quite a few people that's kind of what they were looking for is those recipes that are specific to that heart healthy, also very applicable for people with diabetes too. So if you've never seen or looked at any of her books, I highly recommend that you do so. You can find her website in the show notes, so make sure you go there. And I know that she's kind of passionate about TikTok lately, so make sure you follow her on TikTok as well. Remember to be great always, find the joy in each day, and to start a conversation that truly matters.